today on an all-new episode of the Enneagram Journey. Yes, that's right. There's no going back now. I'm going to talk to Tyler. I'm going to make friends. I'm going to be a normal boy. Yes, you are. You're finally going to be just like everybody else. What? Say, say that again. You're finally going to be just like everybody else. But, but I don't, I don't want to be like everybody else. What do you mean? I, I don't want to be like them, like any other zero in this miserable town, like my family. I won't do it. I don't want to be like any other person. I want to remain what I've always been, superior, brilliant, special. Oh, God, what was I thinking? I'm never going to lift the veil, ever. Nobody will ever know the real me. My accent's back, by the way. It was a very dramatic moment. If you say so. Stay with me. Let's just breathe. Who's this guy? Bad. Hi, all. Why are you here, Todd? Okay, let's get right to it, I guess. My name is Todd Packer, and I am in recovery. I'm working the steps. I'm on step eight of Alcoholics Anonymous, step nine of Narcotics Anonymous. I'm here to make amends. I've been hard to deal with over the past years. Kind of a jerk. I know it. I don't need you to accept my apology, but I'd love it if you did. Packer, we accept. Wait, no, 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 wait, wait. Actually, they have a specific way I need to do this, and I have to go through examples of stuff. Okay, uh, where to begin? Hey. Forgiveness is more than saying sorry. To forgive is divine, so let's have a glass of wine and have makeup sex until the end of time, 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 time. 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 <laughs> so, what'd you think? I mean, my God. Welcome to the Enneagram Journey, your number one stop for great Enneagram conversation with Enneagram Godmother herself, Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and today is a Q&A episode packed with questions about Enneagram 4s, forgiveness and apologies, the withdrawing stance and getting things done, and a great vulnerable question about a 6 and a 7 dealing with our past. Plug first, and it's a cool one. The Road Back to You has sold 1 million copies. Woo, yeah, way to go. Everyone here at LTM is just thrilled for Suzanne and for InterVarsity Press, and so we're going to celebrate. October 20th, if you can be here in Dallas that Friday evening, We're going to have a party and record a live podcast at the Ivy Tavern in Dallas off of Lemon. The specific times and more information will be available on the LTM website, so check there. But for now, clear your night, or, you know, clear your weekend for that matter, and come and celebrate with the LTM community and other Anagram enthusiasts. Friday, October 20th in Dallas. No, unfortunately, this will not be available online. Got to be there in person for this one. So congratulations, Suzanne, and congratulations to the million people who uh, have made the choice to read that book. And now, a congratulations to you, the listener, because now you get to hear this great episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast and LTM, and we hope to see you soon.
We're um, having a good summer. I hope you are. We're busier than we usually are in summertime, and that's good, too. We particularly enjoy doing uh, podcasts that involve a variety of questions and an opportunity to answer some of your questions because so many of you have the same question. It helps when we can um, be faithful to our mission to help you with the things that you want to know about the Enneagram. And we're going to get to do some of that today, which is super exciting for both of us. We like it, and it's life-giving for us. I hope it is for you. Uh, All right, let's see here. Miss Suzanne, I've been following you for the better part of three years. I've read the road back to you, listened to you and Ian all the way through uh, the launch. The only thing is I have not taken your course yet. I am struggling between a one and a two. Okay. The best help I can give you with that is this. Twos have self-talk. So that means when I leave here today to drive home, I'll be thinking about, I wish I'd answered that a little different, or I think I'm going to talk to Joel about ways that we could combine these two things or something like that. And um, as a two, to be honest, I'm still carrying a little bit from yesterday of, did I do that well, and should I have done this different or that different? That'll be my thought process. Ones have a similar process, but it isn't self-talk and it isn't another person it is what we call the critic who is the voice that ones begin to hear when they're children and they hear that voice until uh, they die and the reason we call it the critic is because it never compliments you you don't ever get an girl. it's means it's mean it feels mean-spirited it feels sounds angry Why'd you do that? You should know better than that. Why can't you figure out the difference between ones and twos? Yours might sound like that. And so that that feeling that you get from the critic creates shame if you're a two. And I don't have a critic. Self-talk creates shame for me. The critic for you as a one creates lots of anger that you don't know how to manage. And you don't know how to fight back. The critic probably means that you have trouble sleeping. That you feel um, exhausted from comparison. Because you, you compare yourself to other people all the time. And if you're a one, you probably try to find people who aren't doing things perfectly. So you can, for yourself say to the critics, see, they don't get it right every time either. That's what levels the playing field for you. When you move toward other people, if you're a one, it's because you want to correct something, usually. If you're a two, it's always relational, and it's because you want to be helpful. you have anything to add to that? I don't have anything to add. I have a question to add on. I have a scenario... With a lot of, it, it's, I'm going to make it personal now for me. Okay, great. So I'm a seven, Whitney's a one. We had a, a good, healthy fight yesterday. Uh, we had a fight, and then fighting is healthy. And, uh, you know, we probably both could have done better at fighting healthier. 
whatever the, yeah. that would be called. Dad and I have been fighting for 38 years, <laughs> and we could still do it better. On and off, by the way. We, we don't fight all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I know. Here's the things that I'm struggling with around this. I'm struggling because I didn't quite get the apology in the form that I would like it, there if that go. matters. I'm also trying to use Enneagram knowledge to infor- like to make sense of what happened, and it does, but it doesn't make it easier for me to accept. Does that make sense? Yes. And I know things such as would you rather be like right or in conflict, all the things. Yeah. But that's where I'm at. It's like, okay. So like I said, not a question, just throwing that to you. Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, when you have to ask to be apologized to in a more sincere way or in a different way or whatever, then that automatically takes a big bite out of the apology because you had to ask. You had to say, you know, that didn't really work for me. I didn't ask for an apology. I said, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, the other day I was really wrong. I was was like, today you were really wrong about this. Yeah. And then later I got the, you know, her, her apology. Yeah. But did you tell her that it wasn't the apology you really were looking for? No, not oh, yet. Oh, That's on, not I, yet. Got or, it. Or maybe never. Yeah, um, I wouldn't do it. But I would say, uh, instead of asking for it to be different, I think what we have to say is, and I'm practicing this, for me to hear it and accept it, which is what you're talking about, it would be helpful if ABC. When dad apologizes to me, he does it immediately when he knows he's wrong. And he owns, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that. And and that's supposed to wrap it up. <laughs> and because I'm a two, of course, that doesn't, that doesn't wrap it up. So I have said to dad, as recently as this week, you just say you're sorry to end a conversation. And I want you to say you're sorry because you're really sorry not to end the conversation. But he lives with a verbal processor. So when I use Enneagram wisdom, I know he's trying to get me to shut up. I can say from 38 years of living that sorry with y'all does not end in a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So if he needs a reminder, tell him to give me a text. Yeah. What you need to remember on the Enneagram wisdom side and on Whitney's side is that once she knows she owes you an apology... She's also getting a whipping from the critic. And that's that's what I said. Like I'm, I've. It's not all about just. It's not all Joel focused. Yeah. I'm trying to put this and and I know. I bet she wanted a different apology when I said I messed up the other day. Yeah. She probably wanted a different apology of some sort. But you know, just the the time of how much time do I dwell on it and move on, or do I do something different? I think you do something different because you all are still young in marriage and young in fighting, frankly. I think you say, I've been struggling with this since you apologized. And I just, I'm not asking for a new, different, or bigger apology. I just want you to know how how it landed for me. And if this one piece you could do differently, then I would really be grateful in the future. And then you have to decide if you want to say to her, and if there's something you'd like for me to do different and apologizing now would be a great time for you to tell me right. too. I think when people we love are really, 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 really wrong, 
I think you had four reallys in there. A verbal apology doesn't work anyway. It's the first step of what comes next or doesn't come next. You know that Dad and I, when y'all were all little, and we still do it sometimes, employed, you don't get to say, I'm sorry, you have to say, will you forgive me? Because that's uh, not as dismissive as I'm sorry. And then it's a mutual situation. Kathy, I'm a 73-year-old six in a loving relationship with a 76-year-old nine. Any insights as to how to move forward? We are both new to the Enneagram. Yes. Read the path between us. And get the study guide and do that together. Or uh, are you leading a path between us study group? In the- After the summer. Yeah. yeah. So once, once school get, kicks back in. Yeah. So watch for that. Joel leads a group online. That will create for you a lot of topical. It, it's like. Topic sentences in a paragraph when you read that book together when you're new to the Enneagram. It'll give you something to think about and talk about, and you do that. And then you'll be reading about other numbers, too, and you can talk about that and all the stuff. That's what I would recommend. What about you, Joel? The thing that I love about it, the question, is that they're in their mid to latter 70s. Yep. And so I think that is some big important piece of context Mm -hmm. that I think is the most important piece of it. Me too. So me talking or contributing something as a 30 something year old. I have in the last two years decided, I don't think you even know this. I've decided that when I'm hurt or angry or impatient or um, frustrated, I'm going to keep moving but I'm going to breathe instead of talk. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, wait a bit before I try to bring up thinking. I'm going to do what I'm already doing, but I'm going to do it methodically or mechanically. And while I'm doing all of that, I'm just, I'm literally taking in slow breaths and letting them out and taking in slow breaths and letting them out. And I'm saying less and therefore I have fewer regrets. And I, that's a positive and a negative. So one example is one that you'll appreciate. And that is that when I'm with somebody and I'm thinking, wow, I, I, I think I could help you with that. And I, how can I do more and give more? I'm breathing my way through that instead of saying those things. And part of it's because my calendar is so full that I don't have any room to just keep talking and keep, I mean, one-to-one with people in elevators and with the server at the restaurant. Well, we, in my Monday small group yesterday, um, the person who was sharing, they're an Enneagram 8, and they were talking about two twos in their lives, how all the all the doing and all the giving that is for them unnecessary and and counter productive for their relationship Mm -hmm. that they're like, I don't want, I need you to do this other thing. If they ask them a question, ask the two a question about Mm -hmm. something, Mm -hmm. then the two gives way more back than the answer to the, to the question. This is very shaming. So um, 
I just want you to know that I uh, wrote an email or a text, I think, to all four of you children of mine yesterday with all this stuff about if you need more and I'm not meeting your needs, I'm sorry, and I love you the most. I love you more than the work that I do, and blah, 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 and I just erased it. I was going to thinking I didn't get it. I was about to say, uh, you did not send that no, to No, I to didn't this send child. it to any of you because none of you are feeling that way. I just, it's just stuff I make up. Really. Ugh. <laughs> uh, all right, let me back up a little bit here. Do, do, do. There is a question up here. Give me one second. Well, let's stick with some relationship. Yeah, let's do. Let's talk about how, what a heyday you and Joey as a seven and eight would have had if I had sent that email. It's like, do you know what she's talking about? I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> she's tired. <laughs> she's just tired. She, she was on Fox yesterday. She's I think it's really still messing tired. with her. That's right. <laughs> That's it, exactly. But what I'm telling you is with breathing, I got to that myself. And I don't usually breathe. I just keep doing, 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 doing to manage my feelings. I never write out that email that you write. Uh-huh. I think about it. Yeah. And I think about it, think about it, but I don't do. The thinking just keeps going. And so I wonder, I'll be curious what for each anagram number, what the slowing down and breathing, what centers of intelligence that affects and changes and at different times. Exactly, and I'm, I have a little list going. And the other thing I would tell you is that when I get, as a two, when I get on to the roundabout, when doing is dominant, I get busy enough that I don't know that I need to get off. I miss my exit. I don't get my stuff done. Or you're like, I'm still driving. It's yes. what you said a second ago about the stopping and breathing, That's changing right. the doing. That's you know. right. And breathing is a way to get to all three repressed centers. You can breathe your way to feeling, you can breathe your way to thinking, and you can breathe your way to doing or stopping doing or doing something different. That's what I was about to say. Or breathe your way past or through regret and bad choices and bad decisions that you have to walk back later because you didn't. The physical toll that not breathing has taken on me, yes, has taken on me. I think is very tangible. Yeah. What's the name of that book we like about breathing? Breathe. I think it's about breathe. Yeah. That, that opened my, that was the first thing that was two summers ago. Yeah. And dad, dad couldn't read that without reading it out loud to me. (laughs) Now listen to this, but wait, listen to this, listen to this. The name of the, it's a yellow cover for those of you who want to get it. And I'm pretty sure the title is breathe. That is the title. And I can find fast. It's fascinating. Uh, uh, I'm a six and I've been dating a four for several years. One of the recurring difficulties is navigating his big, sad feelings in ways that recognize or see him, but don't make everything about those feelings being other referenced, being balanced with that is really hard. One of the things that I say to people who are in relationship with fours, don't get in the relate don't get into their stuff stand beside it observe it care about it be uh compassionate about it but don't get in it because once you get in it it takes you down and that's what you're talking about so relationally y'all are in a long-term relationship so i'm talking about day to day hour to hour be present to uh the sadness 
respond sometimes verbally to the sadness and then stand apart from that. And remember, you can't change people. The language of letting go. How many times do you think I've said these words? (laughs) (laughs) Melody Beatty ought to send me a... what, what's you that need called? some residuals? Uh, some, yeah. Uh, the Language of Letting Go by Melody Beatty, December 5th, will really help you. So order that book and read December 5th every day for three months and then keep it handy on your phone so that you can continue to accept that you can't change a four's way of dealing with life. And if you want to be in a relationship, you have to be present to it. And don't get in it. Keep with the number four. I'm okay. going to read a completely different question. This one's from uh, an email, and it's about an eight and a four. And so after the question, I'd love to hear you talk to that the a solution or whatever for the eight is different than the six or the the work to do. So hi there, relationship with a textbook eight. Um and this person is a four, a uh, textbook four. Our relationship has been incredible so far. Lots of deep discussions, introspection, laughing. But we also do struggle to meet in the middle at times. I've read this pairing can be very volatile. Uh, I want to do everything that is in my slash our power to focus on making the relationship thrive. And he is equally as committed. What are some things we can do to keep our relationship on course without letting the emotional intensity between us turn into something potentially harmful to both of us? Okay, you have the opposite problem in relationship. The four brings too many feelings, and the eight doesn't bring enough. And my guess is that most difficulty is about that emotional difference. Eights have to learn to embrace the vulnerability of allowing their feelings to rise enough that they can name them and share them. And that they're not inclined to do that if they're in relationship with a four and they're just feelings falling on them all the time. It's like, I don't want any more of this. That's what I know is I don't want more of this. The things that you have in common are you both value uh, authenticity and honesty, which is why you're having these great discussions, and it's probably why you're in relationship with one another. And here's the most important thing that can happen. I'm not clear on who's the four and who's the eight, but it doesn't matter. The most important thing that can happen is for the eight to say to the four and mean it, I'm no longer going to try to make you happy. Now, that doesn't mean the eight doesn't want the four to be happy. It means their their tendency as eights when fours are even when they're melancholy but for sure when they're really sad is to make you happy and you don't want to be happy if you're the four so you can't get there you just want to stay in where you are in these deep feelings until you work them through and so the eight feels like a failure which they're not accustomed to when they can't make you happy if you take that out of the mix you still have this great relationship but it doesn't involve the eight wanting something for the four that the four doesn't want Maybe this one will be a four podcast. Like we're going to stick with four stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, Suzanne. I'm a four looking for a new job. 
as you can imagine, this process brings out all of my big emotions uh, and the characteristics of my number. It's easy for the feelings of rejection, envy, self-criticism to become all-consuming. So how do I, as a four, allow myself to have my feelings around looking for and getting a new job, but not be consumed by them? There are two things that would be directly tied to your bringing up doing that will make a difference in this process for you. So you've got to recognize that you are doing repressed and that you tend to just keep going and going and going with all of this thinking the, the, about the things that you put in the email about getting a job, all the shame, all the comparison, all the envy, all those things. Going over that over and over and over by supporting your feelings with thinking and not doing anything is not helpful. So you have to bring up doing. And that means that you need to fill your day with doing things that interest you and that are helping you to find a new job doing. Not wishing I had that job, not critiquing yourself over and over for your interview from the job you didn't get, none of that, doing something. The second thing that happens is for twos, threes, and fours, shame is the default emotion. I mean, you are feeling dominant and thinking supports feeling and you're doing repressed. And what you have to do with that thinking is that's how you fight your shame. you got to control the shame or this is just going to be a whipping for you the whole time. And one of the ways you can control shame is by productive thinking. There's no reason for me to feel shame about this. 17 people applied for that job and somebody else had more experience than I do. That's productive thinking as opposed to, man, that was the one I really wanted. I didn't get it because I'm just not very good at what I do. I'm never going to get the job I want. That's non-productive thinking. So that's the difference. Control your shame with productive thinking and you got to do, do, do. And my guess is your response to my answer is yuck, ugh. But I'm sorry, it's true. Most hard things are yuck and ugh. Yeah. So, what if both partners are in the withdrawing stance? So, uh, this person looks like it's a five and a nine. Um, so, uh, we often can't get stuff done. Decisions, house renovation, future plans. Um, how do we get moving? I think you need to spend some time talking with each other about maybe making a list uh, on butcher paper or on a small whiteboard that you'll both see a lot of things we must do. The problem with a nine is they're doing something all the time. It's just not the things that need to be done. And the problem with a five is that you're planning the things that need to be done, but you're not doing them. So together, if you make a list of the things that must be done, and then you put um, a target date on those things being completed. And then you take an honest look at that every three or four days together and um, recognize what isn't getting done. And then one of you has to say, I'll take responsibility for this one. But it, it needs to be a nine in healthy doing or a five in healthy doing, because you don't need more, well, I'll do something, but I won't 
probably get that done from the nine, and you sure don't need more planning from the five. It's never really a matter of withdrawing stance, people, not knowing what to do. It's a matter of wanting to do what needs to be done. That's always true. Here too, as people know, Allie is a two, and it's. I find it hard to have a close friend who is a four. I'm so externally focused, and she is so internally focused. I find it hard because it feels like it, everything is on her time. When we connect, when we get deep or whatnot, is on her time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, fours play hard to get, and they do it intuitively rather than intentionally. And it's because that's one of the ways that they can prove to themselves that you really want to be in a relationship with them. So with that in mind, and that is part of the baseline that you're going to work from, the next reality is that one of the reasons it's hard for you to be in a relationship with a four is because you feel your feelings and you feel the four's feelings. And that is a lot. That's a lot of feelings. So what you have to do with those do with those feelings is turn them into thinking, productive thinking, and then turn that into ways of allowing yourself to have better boundaries. And self-care would include that sometimes you want to say when and where we're going to go do something. And you need to keep stepping out. And if they say, oh, Tuesday's not good for me. I'd rather do Sunday afternoon. You need to be in a position to say, well, could you make Tuesday work for me this time? We often do things on your schedule. Something very gentle, but something that points out what's happening. Because when fours get into their uh, average or below average fourness, they're not aware of how they're affecting other people. They're only aware of how everything affects them. All right, let's talk about parenting a five. Okay, my daughter's a five. She's nine years old. She asks one million questions. How can I curb many of the seemingly unnecessary questions while still allowing for her curiosity? She wants to know every detail about all of our lives, even the things that aren't relevant to her. And she gets upset when plans change, and she struggles with flexibility. I would appreciate any insight. She's nine. Mm. She's probably not a five. <laughs> that sounds very much like a six. It's very difficult to assign numbers to children. So um, I want to say that first. I don't do it unless my it's my grandchildren, you know, I, and I'm I do some of it and I've been right and I've been wrong. So I would like for you to consider that your daughter might be a six because sixes are the ones who ask so many questions. Five, fives generally don't want to have that much conversation, frankly. Now, if they're asking a question about how was your day and what did you do today and where would you go and all that, those are six questions. If they're asking you questions about um, how do bread machines work, like, how can you put flour in a machine with these other things and come out with a loaf of bread? How does that happen? Now, that's a, a question a five would ask about an inanimate object that they're trying to figure out how it works. Six is the way they build relationships with other people is by wanting to know the minutia of what you did today. 
and how it went. And, oh, well, where do you buy groceries? I like to go there, too, because they display the fruit so beautifully. But I've found that the bakery is better at this. The, all of that kind of conversation with sixes is relationship building. Jessica is online. Uh, I'm a six here, and that sounds so much like my childhood struggles. There you go. So. Yeah. I bet I bet you got a six. And she could be an introverted six and a phobic six, which would make it look more five-ish. I don't know necessarily the numbers of my kids. I've got guesses. We sure. keep and we hold it all loosely. Yeah. The question is more important than the that the kids' anagram number. Exactly. So just especially this is a perfect example, and they asked the right question. Yes. So let's just remove that they said my kids are five. Right. And let's you know remove the age. That doesn't matter. They asked how can I? I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. And that's what so many people, the best questions you receive at workshops are, here is the scenario. Uh-huh. How can I adjust myself in the yes. scenario instead of, here's the scenario. How can I get my daughter to pump Different. the brakes on the damn questions? Yep. yep. So glad you brought me back to that. Here's the thing you can do with a nine-year-old, and you, sh- you could, almost said should, start doing that now. And um, one of the things you can do is say, you know, I have so much to think about today. And I know you have a lot of questions about that. Would you sit there for just a minute and think about the three most important questions you have? And I'll answer those three. But I don't have time to answer more than that. That way you're not being dismissive. You're not saying her questions are not important. And you're giving her a little time instead of a lot of time. I've joked about this in the past. And the joke has been, you know, that Google, Google co-parents with me. So we have, uh, for different reasons in most of the rooms of the house, we have the little Google minis that just tucked away in a corner. It's nice. It plays music throughout the house. It sure. does all stuff. But also I love, they forget about it sometimes, but you know, a kid will, especially when you're in the middle of making dinner and talking to Whitney, you know, hearing about Whitney's day and doing things. And in comes a kid and is like, how do you spell mm-hmm. this? Ask it's Google. Like, ask Google. Google, right. how do you spell this? Or where That's what does, dad does with me. Where, <laughs> 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 Sorry, just saying. That that's the great. truth. <laughs> uh, but I just, you know, the, I love the idea of, I can answer, I've got time, I love you so much. And I can answer three. And these other questions are important to you. Let's figure out a way for you to find those answers as well. Yeah. And there's just all sorts of solutions out there. Another solution is, uh, we just have been talking about that for about five minutes. How many of those questions did you already know the answer to? And then here's what you start teaching. And it won't matter what number she is, but here's what you start teaching. I trust you. And I trust how you think. And I wonder if you're checking the answers that you have in your head with me, or if you're really asking me a question about something that you don't know. Let's not assume that the kid's a six. Right, that's a good... But let's also, let's pretend that the kid's a six. Yep. That as a hearing adult sixes talk about the inner committee yep. and using people as, as adults, as soundboards, essentially, exactly. of just, hey, asking a question, but I really am looking for confirmation of the thing I already believe. Yep. Then how do you parent that as a child? I mean, I'm sorry, 
Yes, in a yes. child. And so what you do is you say, what do you think the answer is? And then they'll tell you maybe. And you say, well, why don't you think about it for a while? And if you don't know the answer by bedtime, then I'll answer it. And then you keep, you're affirming their independence and their ability, but be careful with it and don't do that too much because assuming that they might be a six, (laughs) that she might be a six, you want to recognize that she's relationship building with you. That's her way of connecting. All right, the subject of this question is energy level of an Enneagram 9. And it's a little bit longer, so I'll do my best to read it well. I'm an Enneagram 9. I'm a mom to two young kids. They're four and one. They're ages. I work full-time as a manager at a software company, and due to my husband's job right now, I'm in a season where a lot of the caretaking and home management tasks fall to me. My plate is full, and I consistently feel pretty disappointed and the amount of energy I have to get the minimum requirements done in a day. I look like a spaced out zombie by dinner time. I've heard you talk about the low energy level of nines before. Do you have any recommendations for how to make peace with that reality and also somehow tap into more energy or access a different way to get stuff done for me and my family in a healthy way? You cannot get it done unless you write it down. And prioritize it or have your husband help you prioritize it. And uh, then you have to be honest and say, I think I can do this and this and this, but I can't do that. I can't do this too. So then you are from a thinking position, boundaried in a healthy way, saying to your partner in life, I can handle dinner. I can't handle breakfast. What should we do instead of what should I do? And the big projects that have to get done, you prioritize which ones have to be done during this season. And if they don't have to be done, take them off the list and put an asterisk by the things that you will feel guilty about if they don't get done um, daily or if they're weekly things or whatever, because you can't carry guilt too. And you're going to have to take some time for yourself. The only way that nines can fill up is with alone time. Now, I realize that everything I've suggested requires time and energy and a commitment from your husband to do that. And I have, I think I've had a four-year-old and a one-year-old at the same time. I Have I? Maybe. I've gotten close. And I, I get it about having kids who have lots of needs. Uh, I had a, before I was married, before I ever had children, I had a relationship with a family at the school where I taught. She was the counselor there. And they had nine children. And they did a lot of the work on the weekend for the whole week. Like everything they cooked, they doubled. And they put half in the freezer. They, I mean, they just did it. And so if there's a day where you can work really hard all day long to make the other six days easier, try that plan. I'm going to read this question. It's from Courtney. So it's not from me. It's from Courtney. Okay, wait a minute. I want to finish and say that one more thing about the previous one. And um, don't consider it a failure any day of the week when you don't feel like you got everything done, be sure that you put the four-year-old and the one-year-old ahead of 
picking up toys or folding the laundry just right or all the little things. Yeah, now I'm through. Okay. I'm a seven and was recently engaged to a six. I'm much healthier now, but struggled in the past with addictive tendencies, relationships, and alcohol. The more I shared with him, the six, uh, the more my past choices fueled his fear of a future together. Thoughts on how to heal moving forward. I was engaged. I, it says I was recently engaged to a six. So I think, so they, I think it is a present engagement. Uh-huh. Correct. We are no longer together. Okay. Right. So there we go. Never mind. No longer together. Okay, Courtney. I'm sorry. And that might not be a bad thing. And it doesn't have anything to do with Enneagram numbers. It It's not always a terrible thing for relationships to be healthy enough that you know it isn't going to work uh, before you marry. And it might be a really sad thing for you, and that's why I'm saying I'm sorry. Now let me talk about the future. And Joel, you need to chime in with this, please. But there is no way to have a relationship be healthy if you don't have enough trust to tell the truth about addictive behavior and problems with addiction. You just have to do that. And if that's scary for people, then you have to give them all the information that you can so that they have a full field of opportunity to alleviate their fear themselves. That will be difficult with sixes because if you've heard me teach, you know that I use anxiety in place of fear, even though fear is the word from ancient Enneagram work, because anxiety is about possible future events, and sixes fear is about possible future events. So it's really anxiety. They handle fear uh, really well. It's hard when you have a complex past to keep a dependent number, one, two, or six, from worrying about possible future events. It's a very complex issue, and it doesn't have an easy answer. And I think Enneagram work done with the next person who becomes your potential partner in life will help get past some of those questions and hurdles before you get too deep in the relationship. You think that's all good advice, Joel? I think so. I can just give some shared experience. I wouldn't call any of what I'm about to say advice, and I shouldn't be giving advice. I was married to a six, and we we would have gotten divorced anyway at some point anyway. So Absolutely. that's not a – they said, like, oh, man, if we had done something different around this one thing or around my alcoholism or around her whatever, it was it was what it was. Uh, and two wonderful children have yep. come from that, and life is great. And we co-parent together, et cetera. I will and say, not all relationships are supposed to last forever. I'm sorry I interrupted, but they're not. And I would, I'd say, I don't know what Courtney's experience was. As we tried to, you know, as things came to light, 
and so on, as we tried to reconcile it, she, the six, wanted more, or not wanted, needed and demanded more control. And so as anxiety went up, control went up and, you know, and I'm a seven and that's just that. Doesn't work. So it doesn't work. So then fast forward however many years and I meet Whitney. So still dependent stance. You know, uh, you said, I want to get the words right. Um, Did you do much? The more I shared, you know, uh, about the past choices, the more it fueled the the fear right. of the future. Well, within like the first two weeks, I kind of, we, date one, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Date four, hey, I'm a suicide survivor. Date eight, I've been to prison. Like, got it all. And I, I still remember saying the last thing. We had gone somewhere like to v- spend time with her friends for the weekend and we had just the best time and her friends liked me. Everything was just really, really great. And we were both quite smitten and so on. And I remember we're driving back to Dallas. It was probably like an hour and a half drive and we're both just so giddy and happy. And I was like, listen, I'm, I'm so sorry I have to do this. I've got, I've got one last, I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. One last skeleton that's got to come out of the closet. And I swear you've been so great so far through these others. Yeah. And, and this is that. And then, it, you know, and then it goes back to the four mantras, I think. Yep. So if there was any advice, it'd be that. It's not my advice. It's a repeating of showing up, paying attention, telling the truth, and then not being attached to the results. And I think if, you know, if Whitney had said, if I had done those first three, and then Whitney had been like, this has been great. You've got a little bit too much yep. for me and whatever. Uh, then if I had let that shame me or affect my future going right. forward, then I dropped the ball on number four, being attached to the results. That's right. I think you're very brave. I, I, I would just say that. I think you're very brave, and I think you intuitively did the right things, and I think you're going to end up in a relationship with somebody who loves you like Whitney loves Joel. And, um, and let me just say this. Everybody has stuff. Everybody has stuff. Not everybody tells it. And if you don't, then five, six, seven. You know, they say seven, year seven is a hard year for marriages. It's because that's when all the stuff starts to show up that you didn't tell and that you didn't share. And I don't know anybody who's not addicted to something. I don't know anybody who's not addicted to something. It's just that some things are called out in public ways that the public has attached shame to and addiction is one of them i would rather be in a relationship with somebody who's either done a lot of work or somebody who's done 12-step work people that i teach who have who are sober and who have done the program to get sober are so smart and so teachable and so relatable it's quite something, and I'm guessing, Courtney, that that's you and that it was just the fear of the thing, not the fear of you in relationship to the thing that cost you the relationship. We've said it before on a podcast or somewhere, just the blessing that people who have an obvious addiction, yeah. how that is such a blessing. That's right. 
versus the people that don't have the the big taboo addictions, yeah. the struggle that they have. Well, I will say this uh, for anyone who hasn't read it to read Breathing Underwater by Richard Rohr. Amen. Uh, Shopping uh, is an addiction that is supported with credit limits that people can't handle and that gets results because other people say, oh, I love your new dress. I love your new haircut. I love your new handbag. I love your new stuff. Uh, There's a lot of affirmation for some addiction. Eating disorders, there's affirmation on one side from our culture and shame on the other. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Oh, good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was just about, it is a shame that society, this isn't, sorry, this is a small tangent. Society dictates what addictions are okay right right now. So, you know, AA, the way that started, it wasn't okay to be an alcoholic. Right. That's why it had to be anonymous. That's all these things. Now it's, I mean, it's still, it's not a good thing to be an alcoholic, but it's not a, there's not as much shame tied to that. But now there's new things that are tied, that shame is tied to. And that society is like, it's not, it's okay to be an alcoholic now. Yeah. And it's around us everywhere, but it's not okay to be a sex addict. That's right. Uh, And I had uh, an occasion years ago, within the last 10 years, to try to find Gamblers Anonymous for people who are struggling with gambling. Man, they're hidden. The, 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 there I only aren't know two in, on this side of the DFW Metroplex. Right, which is crazy. It, it's interesting to me that it, it happens in the 1950s, 60s, 70s in back rooms. And now I was watching something on TV the other day, and if I wanted to bet on who was going to win, I could do it with my phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, Really? Yeah, not in Texas, unfortunately. Fortunately, unfortunately, yeah. depending on how you look at it. Uh, I saw an interview or a replay of an interview with Dave Chappelle recently. Uh-huh. And people don't, you know, LTM does not endorse nor oppose Dave right. Chappelle. Like, right. uh, this is me just talking about this interview. But I thought it was so interesting. He talked about um, minorities and dark colored people were addicted to crack. Yep. And that was a bit, it was a, it was a crack. That was just, you know, it was terrible. It was awful. Those crackheads, blah, 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 blah. And now that it's in the white community with uh, op- opioids right. and with pills, that it's different, that there's a lot more mm-hmm. um, compassion and understanding yeah. and we've got to come up with solutions that it, and it was just so, I think context is just so important when we're talking about these things as well. It's very important. And, and I think almost everything supports addiction of one kind or another that's not true i think there are many 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 cultural things in our culture in the west and in a metroplex like the dallas fort worth metroplex that support certain addictions doing some 12-step work on any any level about anything makes everything else in your spiritual life easier to do it's just another tool That's right. that makes everything that works with everything else. Absolutely. So even if you don't think you're, even if you're not struggling, if you don't think you're struggling, if you still want to crack a blue book and just yep. add that tool, it's a great tool to add. I agree with that. And I'm codependent. Um, and I have all the gifts for that as a two. And if you're a two, you do too. And it can feel so some, uh, some of our addictions can feel so great. 
codependency can feel like Jesus. <laughs> and that's, uh, that, it's tricky, tricky. Well, we are up against it time-wise. Thank you all who joined us on good size group that joined us here. Um, and we're actually just going to kind of reset in a moment and we're going to be live on the table recording uh, an episode of the Anagram Journey podcast titled going back to school or back to school or something along those lines with Joey and Billy Shuey. I heard the door just open there. So, uh, we're going to be over there. If you, if you have not, uh, joined the table, I think it's a great price point for everything that's on there. Um, and you can cancel it immediately if you don't like it. Uh, but, a but lot you of- will. But a lot of great stuff, and we're going to be over there in five, six, seven minutes uh, for an episode of the Anagram Training Podcast. My, i got to say one more thing, and that is uh, that I'm in recovery. I'm not just a codependent hanging out here trying to make codependent choices. And 12 steps are the way that I found my way. So don't be, don't shy away from doing work on whatever has the potential to be an addiction that's uh, causes trouble for you. Thanks for being with us. What that was a lively Q and A. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Here's a preview of the next episode of the Enneagram Journey. Say that again. I think there's a chance that we are all struggling to understand something things that often precede our questions. Meaning, I think we're walking around struggling and we don't even know what the questions are. And we're not inclined to ask questions, we're far more inclined to make statements.